Masechet Nedarim, Daf Yod Dalet. We begin the second perek on the bottom of 13b. Ve'elo mutarin chulin she'ochalecha kibsar chazir ka'avodazara ke'orot levuvin ken velot utrefot kishkasim urmasim ke'chalat aron uchterumato mutar. In the previous perek we saw different um, various forms, various languages that would make something prohibited. You'd be comparing this uh, item, this bread, will be like that other item, like a, a sacrifice, any kind of sacrifice, then the vow by which I make the sacrifice prohibited will transfer over to the bread. And just like the sacrifice is prohibited by a vow, so too the uh, bread will be prohibited. Uh, not in the same way, of course, because the uh, a sacrifice is consecrated as a sacrifice, but we're just transferring over the language to say that the spread will be prohibited to me, to you, to whoever I specify. So those were prohibited language, that was prohibited language, but the following are all formulas that will actually not work. They will not make a binding vow because I'm comparing it to something um, either that is permitted, so that will be the first one, that which I eat from you will be cholin. That means non-sacred, regular meat. Any meat that you buy today that's kosher is cholin. It's not non-sacrificial meat. So if someone says that, well, then that's permitted. He's not making anything, he's not comparing this bread to anything prohibited. But the same is true for prohibited non-kosher meat, kibisad hazir. The reason is, as we discussed, that you can only make a binding vow by comparing this item to something that is prohibited by a vow. But pig meat is prohibited from the Torah itself, not because of vow. If I don't have to make a vow that I promise I'm not going to eat pig meat, it's already prohibited from the Torah. And therefore, there is no vow prohibition to transfer over. Same is true with the rest of the items on the list, something that is prohibited because of idolatry. And I say this bread will be prohibited like this idolatrous uh, statue does not does not take effect um, like the hides of hearts. This has, refers to an idolatrous practice uh, in which in some ancient times uh, people would cut out the hearts of an animal while it's alive. And uh, so this is a horrible act, but for our purposes, the point is that this is prohibited. The entire animal, its hide also, is prohibited because it was uh, used in the service of idolatry. Um, and if I say this bread should be like that, these hides of these animals, it does not take effect because those are prohibited from the Torah. Like other, nevelot is a carcass, an animal, even if it's a kosher animal, but that died on its own, not through shechita, or terefot, which means it's a kosher animal, even if I did proper shechita, but then we find that it was sick, had a sickness that, that would uh, that would not have lived long, that's also not kosher, but that's from the Torah. Shikasim or masim are different creepy crawlies, other um, uh, uh, beings that are non-kosher, but those are not kosher from the Torah. Or like chala that we give to Aharon uh, till, till today, uh, when you make a big dough, you take a piece of the dough and you, um, nowadays we don't give it to the Kohen, but in those days you would give it to Aharon or to a Kohen. That is prohibited, not because of a vow. It's true, it does take a designation I have to separate it, but I don't make a vow to say I'm not going to eat this challah. Just separating it and calling it challah 
that makes it prohibited. Same with teruma. Um, by separating teruma from grain, then that becomes uh, the, uh, the ownership of the kohen. Only a kohen can eat it. Betahara, a non-kohen is pro- prohibited to eat it. But these are all prohibited from the Torah. This last phrase we already saw in the first pedic. So all of the, any formula like this is permitted because I'm comparing the bread to something that's permitted by the Torah, not with an oath language. Another similar example, someone tells his wife, you are to me like my mother, just like a person is prohibited from being together with his mother. Uh, so too, he wants to transfer that prohibition to his wife and say, you are prohibited to me like my mother. Okay, this is not an edible complex or anything weird. This is just saying the same prohibition should apply. In this case, also, like before, it does not apply, since a mother or any of the adayot are prohibited from the Torah. So then transferring that prohibition to a person that I'm permitted to, my wife, um, will not work because um, the origin, the prohibition from the origin is not based on a vow, but based on a Torah law. Nevertheless, this case is a little bit different from the rest of them in that um, we don't want people to be taking vows like this. If people know, uh, well, since it, the vow won't take effect, right? people, when they get angry at their wives, they say all kinds of things like this, and it's not nice. People should not say this type of language. And therefore, the rabbis on a Rabbanan level say, listen, if you make that vow, you still have to come in and meet with the rabbis, and we have to find some way to undo the, the vow. Potrin lo petach, we find some uh, extenuating circumstances circumstances of why, why you said this, you didn't mean it, you didn't realize the consequences, and we undo the vow like we would an actual biblical vow. Even though in this case, on biblical level, the vow does not apply because I'm, I'm, I'm taking from a Torah prohibition, and you can't make a vow based on a Torah prohibition. You can't transfer that prohibition over to a permitted item. Nevertheless, in order for people to avoid saying language like this, the rabbis required that it to be undone. All right, that's the Mishnah. Now, Tamad Amad Chulin Sheochal Lecha. Hamad La Chulin Sheochal Lecha. Mashma Lo Chulin Leheve Ela Korban. So, in the Mishnah, in the first example, uh, it says, it mentions Chulin Sheochal Lecha, that what I eat from you will be permitted food, permitted meat. Uh, that does not me- uh, make a binding vow because that's permitted meat. So since I used this example and it didn't mention lechulin or laholin, um, so it sounds so we can infer from this Mishnah that if he did say lachulin, then that would have a language of the, of la lechulin leheve. Um, uh, this should not be chulin, uh, right? Not chulin, not permitted, but rather something prohibited, rather a korban. And therefore, la chulin, sheochalach, that which I eat from you, will be not chulin, will be a korban. So it sounds like that would make a prohibition. Since the Mishnah only mentioned the chulin sheochalecha uh, example, and not the second one, la chulin sheochalecha, sounds like la chulin sheochalecha, would make an actual binding vow. If that's true, mani matnitin, then who is the author of this Mishnah? We already saw that according to the Bimeir, you do not derive a positive from a negative. Just because the person said, what I, whatever I eat from you will not be chulin, 
that's uh, that's so we can't infer anything from that. Just because I said it's not chulin does not mean that it will be a korban. Just for, for whatever I ate from you is not chulin. Okay, that does not affect anything in quantity be meir because I do not derive that not chulin is the same as korban, and so it would not be prohibited. So therefore, this mishnah cannot be to be meir. So what is it? But in the Mishnah above, on Dafyod Amud Bet, we saw this exact case, and it was Rabbi Yehuda, and he said, La Cholin does take effect. And so why would you have to repeat it here? We already had the case of La Cholin, that according to Rabbi Yehuda, it does take effect. So why the repetition? The answer is, I did Actually, this Mishnah really wanted to teach the idea about pig meat and idol worship, that they're already prohibited in the Torah, and therefore they are permitted. Since it was mentioning those, so it threw in also the case of Cholin, to teach me that the saying that this bread will be like pig is equal to this saying this bread will be like Cholin meat. Even though it's for different reasons, the cholin meat is totally permitted, so making a vow has no effect, whereas uh, pig meat is prohibited from, from the Torah, and that's why it has no effect. Okay, that's the basic answer. Ravina is going to add a little to that. Ravina, marhachi katane, ve'elu mutarin kecholin, kibesar chazir, kavodazara. Ravina says, actually, uh, the cholin here is not just added in as a by the way, since we're mentioning the other things that are per- permitted formulas, but actually there's a substantive reason why Cholin is here. Uh, the Mishnah wants to say the following formulas uh, will not create a prohibition. They're permitted just as Cholin are. So the same law regarding Cholin is the same as true regarding pig, the same as, as true regarding Avodah Zara. And if I did not mention Cholin, I might have thought that if I say this bread will be like pig, then I do have to go and undo the vow, cancel the vow in front of a bedin. And so that's why it says cholin to say just like if I say this bread is like cholin, I did zero. I don't have to go to a bedin. I can just go ahead and eat the bread. So too, you should know that chazir is also the same law. It totally does not apply. Good. Hold on, Ravina. Would anybody really possibly think that if, if in the case of pig, I would have to go and undo the vow? We see from the continuation, the second half of the Mishnah, where someone says to, to his wife, you'll be prohibited like my mother that he does have to go to a betin and undo the vow. So we see that only in the second case he has to undo the vow with them with his wife, but then we can infer from that that in the first case regarding pig and idolatry, he does not have to. So that's already implicit in the contrast between the Resha and the Sefa. So I don't need to compare to Cholin to teach me that. So instead we go to the previous answer before Ravina that it's actually Cholin is not here for any substantive reason. And it's just that since we're mentioning formulas that are permitted, uh, and don't cause a vow, so we mention Hulin as well, even though we already know it from the previous Mishnah. Good. Now, this basic principle that if I make a vow formula drawing off of a Torah prohibition that it does not work, how do I know? We already saw this on the previous daf that the Pasuk says, a person, if he if he vows a neder l'Hashem, so it's a double language, yidor neder, that means that he has to make a vow, yidor, based on something that already 
was forbidden by a vow. So the neder might be the korban, and I make a vow, and this will be permitted like a korban. That's when it works. It has to be idor apad a neder. Good. Hold on. If that's how you're going to derive it, look at the continuation of the Pasuk, and you'll see from there that even if I compare something permitted to a prohibited item, that should also work. The continuation of that very Pasuk is um, a person makes a vow uh, to Hashem or creates a prohibition, buys himself with a prohibition. So le, the word isur, uh, is an isur, and doesn't that mean a Torah prohibition? Which would mean if I say this bread is like pig, then that should make a binding vow, because that that's something we could learn from le'esor isar, right? Wrong. Le'esor isar mi'ba'ele l'chadatanya ezu isar amur b'torah. No, that were those that those two words le'esor isar are teaching us something different, which we already saw this baraita on the previous staff. This comes to include if I say that um, I'm not going to have uh, meat and meat, meat and wine will be prohibited to me today, like the day on which um, uh, someone's loved one passed away. Uh, and then that does make a binding vow. That's what it's taught, coming to include, even though the original uh, vow was not the same as a normal vow. I say, this bread will be a korban, and therefore it's prohibited to everyone. Um, but I'm making just a more specific uh, type of type of language that meat and wine will be permitted to me. Other people can eat it. So even though it's um, making a more specific prohibition, that still is included in the in a, a valid formula. So that's what I used isod isad to include, and it's not coming to include pig pig and idolatry. Good. So now we know the derivation. All right. Next, hare at keima. A person says to his wife, "You'll be prohibited like mother." That does not work, but you do have to undo the vow, uh, We have a challenge, um, a contradiction. This paraita says, if a person says uh, to another, his wife, he says, you are to me like the flesh of my mother. Flesh here is a euphemism that just like my mother is prohibited, um, to be uh, uh, intimate, so too you are upon me like that, or like the flesh of my sister uh, does not take effect. Those are both Torah prohibitions. And uh, or if he says this food is prohibited to me, like orla, a tree in the first three years that's prohibited, or kilayim, mixed seeds that are prohibited, all Torah prohibitions. He has said nothing. So in this uh, baraita, it uh, it just says that it's totally permitted. The baraita doesn't say that I have to go and undo the vow. Uh, with with the sages, and so this contradicts the Mishnah, which says that although midoraita is permitted, nevertheless I do have to undo the vow. Uh, so which is it? And the answer is When this Baraita says he said nothing, it's just talking about on the Doraita level, it does not make a binding vow. But Midrabanan, yeah, even this Baraita would agree with the Mishnah that you have to go to the rabbis on the Rabban level so people will not take such vows lightly and they will refrain from making them, even though it's not, not a Torah 
uh, vow, but people would rather not have to go to, to the rabbis and undo it, so they'll think twice about saying it in the first place. That's Abaye's answer. Rava says something interesting. It depends on who is making the vow. It's if it's a Tamid Chacham. A Tamid Chacham knows that this uh, vow does not take effect, and they'll be careful and not say them in the first place. And if they do say them, so they're saying that this language, but they know they're not going to get confused, and so they don't have to go to the sages. Where that's so that's the Braita. Whereas the Mishnah is talking about an Amaaritz, and um, they do have to go and undo it with with the sages, so that they don't take it lightly. So we make them make an Amaaritz. Amaaritz, they might get confused. They think it is. They think it's not. They don't know. The the law and they're not careful so Amaris we do make them go um, I wonder if we can derive from this uh, that in general the Mishnah is uh, a code that's meant for the public at large and that's why the Mishnah is talking to everyone and says yeah you better go in and undo it whereas the Braita is more obscure the Braita is uh, written for the Tamida Chamin okay so maybe there are in fact a different order wider audience it would make sense that the Mishnah should be something that should be studied by for by everyone and I wonder if we can see other examples of things like that it's also interesting to have a different law for uh, sages and uh, and and uh, people who are ignorant of the law and uh, actually it's more machmir on those who are ignorant because they need this extra safeguard okay Vatanya, hold on we have another uh, no Vatanya here is actually a confirmation of what Rava said uh, sometimes Vatanya could be a confirmation and uh, not only in the darim and other masikhtat also it's used as that in that way this Braita says someone who makes a vow, a vow based on the Torah prohibition has said nothing. About that Braita, Rabbi Yochanan says, nevertheless, you should go to a Chacham and undo the vow. Rabbi Nachman qualified Rabbi Yochanan's statement by saying that if he's a sage and he does not have to undo the vow with a Torah scholar or with a Bedin, um, not necessary. So you see that Rava's statement was uh, already has precedent, was already said by Rav Nachman, and so you see this is um, extra support um, that uh, that Rav Nachman also said this idea, this distinction between a Tamid Chacham and a scholar. We next cite a Baraita regarding swearing upon a Torah. Tanya Hanoder Torah Lo Amar Kilum. Someone takes a vow by a Torah that does not uh, does not uh, do anything. A Torah is a permitted item; you're allowed to use it, and so that kind of vow would not work. It seems actually here we're talking about a swear uh, that uh, a, a shivuah. If someone says by the Torah, I will uh, exercise tomorrow, that also does not take effect. Um, uh, we'll see why. On the other hand, if he said, I swear by what is written in the Torah, then that does work because in the Torah are written God's name. So when you make a swear in God's name, yes, that works. If you just make a swear by a holy item uh, like a Torah, that does not take effect. It has to be um, God's name or a reference to God's name. Uh, so that's the first clause and second clause. The third clause, it combines the two. When you say the Torah and what's written in it, then also uh, that is a valid vow. We're going to ask, once you know the second clause, what do you need the third one for? Ketani b'ma shekatu ba'adev ka'amamin ba'u b'ma shekatu ba'sarich le'me'amad 
if I already know that if I make a, uh, a shivu'ah regarding what is written in the Torah, then that, that, is, that works because that's, that's Hashem's name is in the Torah. So if I say the Torah and what's written in it, all the more so. I'm just adding yet more. So isn't that obvious that that would be uh, a valid vow? I'm going to have three answers to this. Amar of Nachman, La kashya ha-demachta oraita a-ar'a ha-denaket la bideh. Nachman says, there's a difference between the second and third clause. The third clause is when we're talking about the Torah, when the Torah is on the floor. I don't mean literally on the ground, that would be disrespectful. It means it's not in a person's hand, it's laying in front of him on whatever it's laying on. That's different from the second clause, which is when he's holding it in his hand. What's the difference? When it's on the ground, uh, then his, when he says that statement, he's, he has in mind the, the parchment itself. And so if he says only the second clause, ba ube, um, if he says only ba, that's actually a little ambiguous. It could refer to what's the words written in it, uh, or it could be that which the uh, Torah is written upon, which is the parchment, the, the, which is the parchment. And so if he only says ba, and he's not holding the scroll, it would not be valid. So that's why the third clause, ba ube ba, if he says if it's not he's not holding it, then he needs to say the Torah and what's written in it. In that case, that's perfectly clear that he means not only the parchment, but more importantly, the words written in it. So that's why I need the third clause for when he's not holding it. Whereas the second clause, if he is holding it, then it's clear that, and he, and he says, he doesn't have to say, ba. it's clear he's talking about what's uh, written in it. If he's holding it in his hand, then he has in mind the mentions of Hashem's name that are in it. So that's the first answer, which would make a distinction between whether he's holding it or not. Or you can say the whole Brayta is talking about when he's not holding it, when it's, on, uh, when it's uh, resting in front of him. And in fact, there's no difference between the formulas that one uses. The Brayta is coming to teach that even though it's not, even though he's not holding it and it's resting on, resting in front of him, once if he says with that which is written in it, that works. And all the more so if he says ba and mashikatuv ba. So this is a um, zov en sadik lomar zo type of formulation where he says, so you say one law and then you say law that's even more obvious, right? I don't even need, of course, this. And sometimes, but I thought, even though it's extraneous language, sometimes it does. Uh, uh, fill in the other cases that you could have derived it on your own, but it likes to fill it in anyway. So according to that answer, if it's lying in front, if it's even if it's lying in front of you, and you only said bemashikatuba, that's sufficient. That does create a um, a valid shavuah. Vibetema or the third answer kula misiata named naket lebide. The whole brayta is actually to, in, including the second clause. Is talking about when you're holding it in your hand. Um, and uh, the is coming to the beraita is coming to teach me that if I, as long as I'm holding in my hand, even if I didn't say, uh, even if I only said the word ba, it's as if I said that which is written in it. So the 
uh, second clause that, according to this would be um, if I said Bamashikatuba, I'm holding it, say that's what's written into it, that is fine. The third clause is giving me an even bigger chidush. If I only said the word ba, it's equal to Bamashikatuba. Not that I said both phrases, but I only said ba. This teaches that that itself is valid. So that's different from the first clause, whereas if I say, Hanodel Torah, and I'm not holding the Torah, then that's not good enough, because the Torah, well, the Torah itself is not Hashem's name, as a permissible item, and so that does not make any, does, wouldn't make a neder, it wouldn't make a shivuah, that would not do anything. But if I, as long as I'm, uh, uh, as long as I'm holding it, if I say ba or ba Torah, even if I don't say anything else, that makes it clear I'm holding it in a in a way of of uh, of respect of um, uh, and awe that shows that I am uh, have in mind the name of Hashem that's written in it. So that would be equivalent to making a shivuah in the name of Hashem, and that certainly is binding. I will leave the next Mishnah for the next staff. Baruch Adonai Lo. Amen, amen.